1: The Incomparable, number 624, July,
2: 2022. Welcome back everybody to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and I am joined this time, once again, by The Incomparable's most prolific panelist (laughs) and also one of our most prolific novelists. It's Dan Morin. Dan, welcome back once again to the podcast. (laughs) So good to be here. They will they'll put that on my
3: tombstone, Jason.
2: <laughs> you put a lot of words together. They weren't all great, but there were a lot of them. A lot, so many words. Uh actually, you're you're maybe on your grave they'll put um joining me now is Dan Morin. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> uh well, okay. Very presumptive there. Um we're here to talk about the Nova incident, a novel coming out July 26th. That is uh your uh, latest b- installment in the Galactic Cold War series. It's book three. And by that, I mean it's the fourth novel in the series, but it's oh. book three. Because you start oh, from I'll zero, never, like a good programmer would. Yeah, sure, from that's zero. what
3: it is. uh Oh, that's a more charitable answer than my uh, I had an off by one error somewhere mm-hmm. in my counting. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the My most frequently asked question, it still plagues me to this day uh, that people try to figure out the numbering. I put a thing, there is a, a, an FAQ on my website now that explains it. Uh, that's good. people still ask.
2: Ba- basically, you know, when it comes from another publisher, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Yep. laughs> that that's is, how it works. That's how it works. Um. So Nova Incident, it, latest in the Galactic Cold War series, we're going to talk about it because that's the thing that you and I get to do is we get to chat about about your book and writing and all of that. And people should go obviously buy the Nova incident or pre-order it or whenever you're listening to this, it'll be out shortly or it's already out. Um, And it is the latest in a fun series of spies in space, or in this case on a planet, which as we've established on the incomparable planets are in space. Indeed nailed it. So uh, this is a uh, same characters that, you know, From the previous books and they get into an adventure that I would say, uh, if I were to summarize it, I would say that it is incited by an act of domestic terrorism at the, uh, or terrorism, unclear whether it's domestic or not, but an act of terrorism at the heart of the, uh, the Commonwealth, uh, which is the, the government, the planet spanning government that is, that your characters work for. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, it leads to all sorts of ramifications as the, uh, as the investigation spins out. And by the way, the, uh, the book cover is very nice. I, I, I had the pleasure of reading this book when it was, uh, when it was in draft form. And I had the pleasure of, of participating along with Anthony Johnston in a conversation (laughs) with you about the book cover (laughs) And and all the different options that you had, and I think it worked out pretty well. There's like I a, think it did the, too. There's a cityscape with a with with some flames and a space station. And you're saying, is the space station there for show? And the answer is, friends, no, it's not. There is a space station in the Nova Incident, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's it, relevant. It's good, and the co- the blue color, and it's uh, and the and and it's and the Nova Incident as a name. So one of our questions. <laughs> we have lots of questions uh, that we're gonna get to. Uh, thank you to everybody who sent in questions for Dan. But one of the questions was about the title of your books. And specifically, the question was, let me see if I can find it here. But it was, um, what were the original uh, names for your books? Yes, this was from Andrew. What were the original working names for each of your novels? Yes, we've covered some of these before.
3: Because when we talked about The Caledonian Gambit, which had several titles... Uh, resurrection Man For the, the Resurrection Man Was the, the longest running title um, And then uh, briefly uh, <laughs> Sons of Caldonia, Which I think is the name Of the episode We did about it Yep
2: Yeah, because I suggested Uh, that title and I liked it so much I named the episode
3: about Yep, no, it's a good it's a good title It was I think deemed uh, when I I may have made the pitch list But I think it was deemed to sound a little too fantasy Uh, Sure, uh, as opposed to science fiction So I think and then of course the caledonian gambit which is a thing Yeah, because gambits are much less fantastical Yeah, very super super hard sci-fi there No, and that one came up from brainstorming stuff And I think I jokingly was like this is like my robert ludlum title Uh And unfortunately, I got kind of stuck in that vein now I got Ludlum. Uh I think our our pal Anthony Johnston also has a similar experience with that. I mean it works for thrillers like and I mean this is sort of like a spy thriller, right? Yeah. Like so it has that angle to it. Um Bayern Agenda was originally titled Break the Bank, right? Um which was a reference to uh my uh, that that actually was a reference to the song which uh Lawrence d'Arabia played by Peter O'Toole sings about breaking the bank in Monte Carlo. Uh just because I love that sentiment. Uh the Aleph Extraction was originally The Quelle Affair, Q-U-E-L-L-E. Mm. I was told that was difficult to pronounce <laughs> and uh-huh. I should come up with a better title. And so that's where the Aleph Extraction came right. from. But Technically originally
2: slightly easier to pronounce, but not slightly.
3: really that easy. Not everybody gets it right. I have. I think maybe I finally have a title that has only one way to be pronounced. Yeah. The so, Nova Incident. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the original title for this one, Oh, okay. So I have a working title. It's a spoiler. And that's why it was always only a working title. Uh, And we'll get to that in a second. Um, But uh, the title it almost went to print with was uh, The Nomad Protocol.
2: Oh, yeah. Right. Right. That's the one I saw.
3: I was told, basically, my agent advised me that that did not play a significant enough part in the events of the book to warrant being the title. And I thought, I agree. That's a fair point. So uh, I brainstormed a bunch of stuff. I think I ran a bunch of stuff past probably you and some other people who had read the book early. Mm-hmm. And the Nova incident, I think, was the winner on that one. Um, yep. Should there title. be future books? There may be titles already in mind, but oh. we'll see. It's easier once you have a a format, right? The blank
2: blank. Yeah. <laughs> the adjective sure. noun. You know. Sure. <laughs> the orange argument. Yes. There you go. Done. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well that's a that was we're just kicking it off here anything uh hit you this is a this is a book is this the first book you wrote where you were under contract when you wrote it as opposed to being speculative or was the previous book that
3: the previous so uh uh, aleph was part of a two book deal so basically when we sold the bayern agenda my agent was like hey you know we should do a two book deal because you never know with series right like you might not know until the subsequent book whether the first book even did well. So you should kind of have that one in the chamber as it were. Right. And so they, they contracted for me two books. This book had to be renegotiated. It was, I'm not going to say the easiest sell. Uh, I think I was not finished when we sold it, but I was well underway in writing it by that point. And it, you know, for, for business reasons, which we may also discuss at other points, um, it was, <sighs> You know, it's tricky. It's series are tricky because you never sell as many books as you do the first book in a series. It's just the way it works. It's very rare otherwise, right? Sure. Because people buy the first book and some people tail off or decide the series isn't for them. Very few people buy the second or third book in a series and think, I'll start here. And then if they do, right. they probably go back and buy the earlier ones. Friends, this so. might
2: be why the book one in the series is called book one, even though there was a book zero. <laughs> ding, ding. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah.
3: So it wasn't written under contract, but it was written with an eye to, I think we can probably sell this and... Um, I would like to write this story. I will also say some of that was dictated by the fact that when this book was written, which was 2020, a year where many things happened. And I decided I just wanted to write this, you know, the continuing adventures of these characters mm-hmm. as a sort of solace to myself, if nothing else.
2: Okay. And then, and then you, so you went back to your publisher and, and, and said... How'd here, you like another here's one? Here's you know, another here one, and they and you know. they said yes, and so and they we said
3: they one. with some yeah. It's a, it was a little bit of a negotiation. Yeah. I will say I didn't uh, my payday on this one a little lower than previous ones, mm. but I am hopeful that uh, that will pan out for me in the end because a lower advance means potentially uh, faster to earn royalties depending on how well it sells. So hopefully it sells well. Everybody listening, that's your cue.
2: Yeah, that's right. Do that. Ha- has it hit you? Has it hit you at any point, or will it hit you? Maybe when this comes out that you are the author of a four book science fiction novel series <laughs> what, what an idea right it's not just like i i had a novel published right which you, you've had for a while now but it's like literally you have a you're you're now one of those people who's written <laughs> a four book science fiction novel series
3: yeah it's weird i mean it's not something I sit and think about that much, but I, I definitely every once in a while, it does occur to me. And I am inordinately proud of what I've done. I am very happy with the series thus far. I've been really lucky in like this book and the last book both got starred reviews from Publishers Weekly, which was really flattering. Um, and I've had people say mm. some very nice things about it, which is great. And I think what I struggle with a little bit in that regard is definitely thinking like, well, I've told these stories and these are great on the one hand... I have an idea for like, well, you know, I've written a series, right? Every person who writes a series sets out with the idea of like, <laughs> I'm going to conclude my series eventually. Right. Some of them go on a lot longer than others. Some of them go on very short. Um, And, you know, a lot of people, I think, expect series to fall in that trilogy, you know, structure. Right. Which this does not. Uh I will just be frank about that. Uh not least of all because there's been four books so far, so unless I'm going the Douglas Adams route, right. uh it's it's not a trilogy. Um and then I think the other part of it is like as as proud as I am of having written this series, I also feel like I want to be able to do other things too. And it's not that I don't want to continue work on this series. It's just that like, I have now proved to myself I can do that and I can tell this story and these types of books. And that's great. And I want to keep doing that. But I also want to be able to stretch myself and tell other types of things. So now it's the risk of like, I don't want to get pigeonholed into... Like you wrote this series, and this is, the, this is the one thing that you'll ever do or one story series that you'll ever write. It's like, no, I can do other things than this too. But I love this because it has been so important to me. And I
2: love the stories and the characters. Uh, now, this story, I'd say this book ends more ambiguously than some mm. of your other books have. Uh, would it be safe to say that you have had a, an overarching sort of like running in the background? story arc that is coming to the forefront in this book yes that would be fair to say i set out
3: to write this series always with a longer arc in mind because my favorite books are the ones where it's like okay it's kind of a self-contained adventure but like overall you're still telling something that's a bit larger because that's something you can do in books and to a degree in things like movie or tv shows and comics i guess now in movies if you consider marvel um uh, that I liked, that it's it's kind of a fun element of storytelling I like, where there's a micro story and a macro story. And so I always kind of knew where this macro story would be going. Um, I set out with, I, I mean, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again, set out with seven books in mind in in sort of more recent times. I have sort of condensed that down to six, just because of like looking ahead and thinking about what, what stories I want to tell and what the next subsequent books would be. Um, and I really hope I get to write those at some point. <laughs> Their future right now, a little bit uncertain, a little bit depending on how well this book sells. Um, right. So again,
2: The Nova Incident, right? Available <laughs> please, July 26th. Please, please.
3: please buy this book and please tell your friends to buy this book or buy this book for your friends. If you're a real friend, you buy books for your friends. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to tell a big overarching story because it's a big stage, right? The whole, the series is called The Galactic Cold War for a reason. There is a galactic cold war going on. Ah. And I feel like... At a certain point, that may come to a head, right? As, as our Cold War did in the United States and Soviet Union. Um, I like the idea, something needs to change, right? Like I didn't want to spin this out being a story of like, oh, okay, it's 30 books and it goes on forever. No, I wanted there to be stuff that changed and things that evolved and developments that... Um, you know sort of through wrenches into various plans and whatever so you know yeah i, I think it's kind of you to say this book ends ambiguously <laughs> i think it it definitely ends on a bit of a uh
2: a cliffhanger i guess well, you could say i think i, I would put it because i know sometimes people feel ripped off when there's a cliffhanger at the end of a novel i would say your story ends and then there's a coda basically where the story arc Enters and says, "Right, bump, 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 right." And right. and so, yeah, so exactly. you have your your story has this. The Nova incident has a clear ending, um, yes. but then it also has a twist that happens after really the proper ending. I mean, it's literally like everybody gets back from having resolved the plot, and then right. something Pats themselves on the back, and, and then everything's great. Yeah, and then something happens that that makes you go, "What?" And that's like where you're left. So it's a. I would say that that's a good construction in terms of it being. Uh, feeling like you didn't buy part of something, but that you got something that was satisfying and also part of a larger whole. Yes. That's what
3: what I'm shooting for. I think think you can do both of those things, and that is what I enjoy doing with this.
1: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't
0: get any better than this.
1: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Series.
2: All right. Uh, do you want to take some questions?
1: Because we got a lot of let's, questions. Let's do some
2: questions. All right. Uh, I'm going to start with some questions about the writing process, because sometimes okay. people are fascinated by the, the, the sheer, just the detailed process of writing. Um, so I tried to put a bunch of these together that were sort of similar. Um, Bob wants to know, um, do you think about how your audience will interpret your work and how do you adapt your work based on your expectation of their mm. interpretation? The idea of like, yeah. you're trying to think of a, a, like, like I mean, I've, I've said before, novels are kind of machines, constructed to elicit certain responses in the reader. That's sort of, and you don't necessarily always think of it that way when you're writing it, but that is one of the things that makes a novel work is, is thinking about like, what am I trying to do and what response am I trying to elicit from the audience? So how do you, how do you consider that when you're writing?
3: I don't always think very much about theme. Sometimes you set out to write something and you're like, oh, I've got this big question in mind and I kind of want to write a story that, that sort of illuminates that. But I do often think about things like tone and atmosphere in terms of a story that I want to tell and the, the what I want my readers to take away from that. Um, for example, in the Nova incident, I wanted to write something that was a little more claustrophobic and a little more... Um, based in sort of i mean I don't know paranoia or something, but like having that element of the spy thriller is like oh i I kind of know in my head the kind of stories that I would consume, whether they're books or movies that put me in that headspace, and how do I convey that to a reader and so, in terms of like readers interpreting things, I think things like you know, a plot, word choice, all this stuff goes into constructing an atmosphere in the same way that you might build a set for a show, for a theater, theatrical production, or a TV or movie production. And you're like, well, we want it to feel like this and for people to take away this, you know, this sense of what that world is like. And so I think that's where I spend a lot of my time is trying to build an atmosphere around the story I'm telling in order to convey like you know put someone else who's reading this into the same headspace of feeling like oh this is tense or this is uh you know really claustrophobic because everything's sort of like happening all at once in this small
2: contained area and uh, i think that's kind of how i approach it uh listener ian asks what part of writing do you most enjoy
3: (laughs) (laughs) oh enjoying writing that sounds nice no um being done (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the old canard, right? About like, I don't enjoy writing, but I enjoy having written, which I think is true. Um, I like when something unexpectedly delights me that I didn't intend. Sometimes when you're writing... Something happens in a story that is kind of out of left field or you see it coming and you're like, oh, the only logical thing to happen is this thing that I didn't think would happen. But now it's happening. Um, And I enjoy that. I enjoy the curveballs. It's hard at times to have something pop up that you're like, oh, I didn't plan for this. And this might change the entire direction of the story. But it also feels very much like that's how you know you've nailed a target sometimes mm-hmm. is when something steps to the forefront and kind of takes over. And you're like, oh. Yeah, this is an interesting wrinkle. Now, how am I going to react to that? How am I going to deal with that now that, you know, my all my well laid plans have been laid to waste? Um, and so I think that for me is like being surprised and delighted. Sometimes it's a line, like sometimes I get a line stuck in my head that I just think is funny, and I, you know, it makes me laugh as I'm writing it, and I, I laugh when I think about it. And that is to me the best moment is like, yeah, okay, it's easy to laugh at your own jokes. But it's actually it happens fairly rarely, I think, when it comes to writing, especially in like a novel, because there's not always a time for like jokey jokeness. Like <laughs> you're not doing a, a tight 10 there or anything. Yeah, it's a
2: um, the idea that our when you're writing, you're you're trying to create this simulated reality. Right. And so you're building a simulation mm-hmm. of what's happening in your story in your head and you, your characters are in it and the the plot is in it and you're at least at least when i have done it, it it's it's um you're applying like your logical brain to these details and it's not abstract it's like you've got to say like where do they go where do they stand who do they talk to what do they do you can't you can't just sort of like say and they lived happily ever after right you have to say how they got to happy, happily shift, ever sure, after sure work with, yeah. you know he, he he went in the door and like you you have to run the machinery and The good thing about that is when something unexpected pops out, it's your logical brain saying, no, this is what would happen now. And so it's, I would say, almost always the right choice, uh, which is why- Especially if it's hard. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about pantsing and plotting when we talk about this, the idea that you're going by the seat of your pants or you've heavily plotted it out. And while I'm a believer in plotting kind of big picture things, if you overplot, you get that moment where you think, oh, this is what should happen now. Even though I didn't plan it. And you say, no, <laughs> the right. children, it is the children who are wrong. There, and there's that's no a, surprise. And that's a mistake, yeah. right? Because that's your brain saying th- the, what's in the outline isn't what would happen next. It doesn't make sense. And it, it is, when that does happen, I remember Joe Straczynski talked about this for Babylon 5 that he like literally had a point when he was writing all those many, many, many episodes of Babylon 5 where the characters would basically tell him what to do. And it mm-hmm. seemed like wacky but it's like well no it's he's running the simulation of his show in his head and the characters are so fully realized in his head that they he he knows how they would respond even if it surprises him in the moment right yeah that's magical
3: that's even more complex on something like a tv show because then you've got actors involved and actors will make changes they have interpretations they bring to it well that feeds back into the writer and like i that's a that's a cool experience i've never gotten to write for tv or anything like that but i i do think that
2: aspect of it is very challenging and also very cool um tim asks how do you know when your books are done how do you go about making the decision to stop tweaking and changing and just put it out there
3: Good morning, Tim. Um, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, How do you know when it's done? Well, when the deadline hits, I think (laughs) that's the first clue. Um, In terms of the plot, I mean, yeah, let's take it first. In terms of like setting down the plot stuff, like that's fairly straightforward, right? Like you get to an end in the story. That's very logical. But in terms of going back and tweaking, I think there is, you know, some of it comes from long experience. Uh, you spend a lot of time writing things, and especially I got cut my teeth in writing in quick turnaround stuff, right? Because I was working for Jason at MacWorld, and I started writing like blog posts and like blog posts were like, you write a thing, you maybe give it a once over, make sure everything looks good, and then bam, you're done. You move on to the next thing, and so you didn't have the luxury of time all the time to like sort of run down all the details and endlessly tweak stuff. Um, some of it is just getting tired of the material and you're like, I've read this three times. (laughs) I'm, I'm done. (laughs) Um, and I think some of it is just, you know, when you're dealing with a book, that's like a hundred thousand words ish, uh, it is time consuming, right? Like it is time consuming to spend all this time tweaking stuff. I I think for me, I am done generally when I feel like I have resolved. I usually have a list of, (laughs) this is sort of my software, uh, programmer background coming to play a little bit, but like I have a list of bugs <laughs> in a story, like when beta readers or my agent or somebody will read it and be like, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. Like I go down the list and like some of them I agree with, some of them I don't agree with, but I like try to get anything that feels like, hey, this really took somebody out of the story or this really didn't make sense. And I try to resolve all of those. And once I've resolved all of those, I'm I'm good. I feel like, all right, we've worked out the major kinks in this story. There's And here's the secret there's going to be other things because then it goes through an editorial process. Then it goes through a copy editing process. Then it goes through a proofreading process. And of all of those cases, you will end up changing things. You'll end up tweaking words here and there. You'll end up tweaking sentences. I've even had copy editors who, uh, you know, sometimes maybe exceeding the bounds of their duties have pointed out plot holes. Sometimes those are valid. Sometimes they're not. Um, but, you know, it's at that point, it's done basically when, you know, it's got to get sent off to the printer i'm not a person who generally spends a lot of time asking for extensions or tries to overshoot a deadline very much so yeah when it needs to be done it's done
2: do you have a moment where you're thinking i'm getting close to wrap it to wrapping it up and i need to i need to i need to button this thing up now or do you i just wonder if you're looking at the word count and thinking i need to speed this along or if you're (laughs) if you're if you're willing to go where it takes you knowing the destination and i mean maybe does that change based on what your deadline is i think i think it changes
3: depending on the story i mean like we've all been in movies where you look at your watch and you're like there's 45 minutes left in this movie like Mm. what are they what's going on um i think i know what the length now of a book in this series is roughly like there is some variation but it tends to be plus or minus like 100,000 words and so that does give me a sense of where am I in this plot and how much farther I'm always worried that I will underwrite and I will write something. I'll be like, Oh no, I finished the story and it's 75,000 words. Like, what am I going to do? I need another 25,000 words that has yet to happen. Um, But I, I feel like there is sort of an internal pacing clock too, um, that you have, at least that I have in my head when I'm writing one of these stories, it's like, I kind of know, how the pace should proceed, like the pace of the scenes and the pace of the chapters. Like it's got a feeling to it. I will say I'm working on something now that is the longest thing I've ever written and it keeps getting longer mm. and I'm a little worried, but at the same time, like I feel the pace in it. and I'm like, oh, I can't just like snap my fingers and end it here. Like it's, it's not ready. It hasn't gone through all the motions, and it may be that when I go back and reread this and edit it, it gets trimmed down and stuff gets thrown out and whatever. But right now, where I am in telling that story, it's like, well, I, yeah, I could wrap this up in a chapter, but it would be extremely unsatisfying and very, very weird. So you kind of have to trust your internal clock a little bit to tell you like how far along you are. Do
2: you just a as a follow up to that? Do you think about Do you just sort of let it happen and worry about the marketing later? Because I, I, the first thing I, first novel I wrote was one hundred fifty thousand words, and it was sort of a YA story. And the feedback I got from a bunch of people is basically, well, this should be three novels. Yeah, (laughs) YA novels are shorter too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a fifty thousand word novel is a very short novel, but. Uh, if it's a YA novel, that's probably not a bad length, and and so it's like this is two or three books, and and you know I I I totally was living in the moment of like I'm just telling the story I'm telling, and I haven't gotten yeah. to the end yet, and then I got to the end, and it was like this 150,000 160,000 words is way too that's long. long. That's long, yeah. Even even that's, if it's a good story rank. and it's got bits, but it's it's huge, and so do, you know do you do you have that in the back of your mind of like is this is this an appropriate length or are you more like uh, look let me just get it out and I'll worry about it later. I I often have it in the back of my mind. I wrote another
3: book, which is still floating around out there and hasn't been sold yet, but it is a much tighter. I want to say it's like 80,000 words, which is much tighter and much shorter, but it's a different genre. And I think there is an aspect of like, there are you'll if you google out there you'll see like people who all have like oh this is this genre you want a word length between x and y you know and that's not strictly true but it's generally true right like most stuff falls in between that and there are certainly genres where you can get away if you wrote a 150,000 word uh like thriller I think a lot of people would be like, eh, that's pretty long for a thriller. Right. Um, but if you wrote a 150,000 word uh, fantasy novel, some people would be like, well, that's like a medium-sized fantasy novel, <laughs> right? Like, you know, those vary much more. So sure. I think there are word counts that sell better in different genres. And I tend to have that in mind when I'm thinking about the scope of a story, but it's not something I sort of glue myself to.
2: All right. Mr. Flo wants to know, how often... Did you or do you still have to overcome a point in writing where you think this will never work out? It's all crap. What the hell am I doing? Is writing a never ending roller coaster of extreme emotions or is it more boring than we non writers imagine? How do you uh, even start a book or a series? I mean, there's there's a lot of questions here, but let's start yeah. with the never-ending roller coaster of extreme emotions versus yep. boredom. And my, my it's, response, it's I'm going to just guess here, it's both. <laughs> it's both. both. Yeah, yep. it's 100% yep. both.
3: I I just mentioned I'm working on a project now, and I am utterly convinced this is terrible. Uh, nobody else has read it yet. I've given some of it to my wife, but she hasn't gotten a chance to read it yet. Um and I think, I and I can look at it, and I definitely, there are times where I despair. I thought the Nova incident, when I was writing, I was like, oh, God, this is terrible. This is never going to work. And my wife read it, and she's like, I think this is your best book yet. And I was like, really? I, I still don't believe you, but thank you. Um, and I think there is a lot of element. You see all the flaws, right? I was thinking about this recently in regards to um, when we moved into our house, we had our kitchen done. And... Now, you know, nine months later whatever, we look around and every once in a while you're like, oh man, that 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 just isn't that's a little crooked, right? Or like there's a there's a slight nick in that. And you think to yourself, oh God, it's so terrible. That's just gonna bug me every time I'm thinking about how that doesn't line up correctly. And if you ask somebody who came into your kitchen, <laughs> they'd be like, what are you talking about, right? Oh, this, this looks great. But it's yours. You've lived with it. You were instrumental in all the decisions that led to it. You know, uh, it's going to stand out way worse to you than it is somebody else who is coming in and looking at it for the first sure. time. So I think you're always harder on yourself. And such as such, it becomes a bit of a roller coaster. Because it's also uh, like this intellectual pursuit in some ways that's so tied up with your your creativity and your imagination and, and your identity that like... I think people take it very it's it's a very personal thing. And so it is always gonna have that roller coaster. That said, the day by day is often very boring because it's like I literally am just putting one word after, after another, another knowing I've gotta get to this place. It's like I don't run very much, but like I can imagine, you know, if you're a long distance runner. You just kind of get into that like zone out move. It's like, all right, I just, yep. this isn't, this doesn't feel great, but I'm going to do it. And best, I'm going to, I know I'm going to get somewhere.
2: Best times when I'm running is when I'm completely lost in the podcast I'm listening to and I don't yes. even notice. And the worst times when yeah. I'm running is like when I'm literally aware of every step that I'm taking. Yes. Yep. And so you want to, you want to have that moment, but as a writer, let me tell you, as a reader, you, you can fly through stuff and you just yep. are part are part of it. Writing it though. You can't, oh, it's, 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 it is yeah, frustrating and, and boring and, and do, it remind me. So, I always wrote my my stuff when I was writing NaNoWriMo novels um linearly where i would mm-hmm. I would go in order. I know I've talked to somebody, was it you or was it someone else who was like, oh no, I write all the interesting parts first. And I thought, how can you do that? Because you're left with half a book that it's all the boring parts. And you have, then you have to sit there for weeks on end, writing the boring parts of the book. You can't, you can't do, you got to keep the exciting parts. It's like the candy. It's your dessert. It's your thing that that you do after the boring part. Was that a Helene thing?
3: Maybe because she has that maybe. very very wild uh, way of maybe writing. Maybe it was I, maybe every it was time Helene. I think about like, it, I'm like no! I, I can't I can't
2: I, not that it wouldn't be great to write all the good parts, but it's like then I think of like but then the bad parts because the bad parts are like if, if you've got like oh there's a really exciting thing coming up if I once I get through this boring chapter I I get to kick the you know I, I press the button and the thing comes out and then it's super exciting but I got to get there first and it's like a motivator to get there i i I can't imagine saving the boring parts because it's because when it's boring and it's not like the book is it's not like reading that part is boring it's that it's the necessary kind of rising building action and getting all the pieces in place and all the details but writing that stuff can be a super grind and i cannot imagine not interspersing that with the fun stuff and leaving it till the end Wow. Yeah, I,
3: I go I go almost exclusively front to back. I've occasionally had things where I write out of order, but very rarely because I think it helps me keep it all in my head of this thing happened. Now, the next thing needs to happen. Now, the next thing needs to happen. If I start jumping around too much, I'm like, oh, man, where am I? What has happened? Right. What still is going to happen? Yeah, it's messy. And I, yeah, I screw stuff up and then I have to go back and fix it later. So, I mean, I, sometimes I do that anyways, but it's a lot easier if I'm writing front to back. So, uh, and as far as the boring parts go, yeah, it's a slog sometimes to get through them. You try to make them interesting and you try to think about like, well, what is really important in this scene? But yeah, there's, it's, you know, it's more fun to write a car chase sometimes than it is to write true. <laughs> two people
2: looking at something. I don't know mm-hmm. that leads to a car chase, but yeah.
3: yes, exactly.
2: Um, flows other question. How do you even start a book or a series? Is it just a bunch of ideas or scenes that you try to connect or do you have a story arc in mind that you flesh out? Do the characters determine what kind of story you write or is it the other way around? Did you have Kovalik in mind because he acts like he does and the story had to evolve in a certain way or did the story you wanted to tell lead to the creation of that character?
1: Mm,
3: That's interesting.
2: I think it's all kind of works together. I mean, how
3: do you start? You start with, I mean, you can start a variety of ways. You can just start putting words down on paper. That's how I started doing my earliest stuff. I would say I, I didn't finish a lot of that when I was much younger, but like that's where it would start. I think for me, it starts a lot of times with a scene or dialogue like i'll come up with like a exchange between two characters and be like oh that's interesting Why are they talking about this? Who are these people? Like, why? what is this conversation leading to? And then that starts to spin out. Like, you know, it's a bit of a chain reaction thing. Like, as as soon as you start thinking about those things, you start thinking about other things. And then, like, ideas sort of bounce off each other. And you're like, oh, well, hold on. I had this other idea that was about this. I wonder if that connects to this in some way. Uh, It's a lot like doing a puzzle. Um, And so, for me, uh, characters often come first before plots because I have an idea of, like, all right, who is this person? Oh, I want to write a character who's, you know... This way and that way, and then you're like, well, what would be an interesting situation, or where would this person likely find themselves? So I don't think, and, th- and there's evolution to it too, right? Because I don't think Kovalik came into my mind fully formed. I knew who he was and what his role was, like what his job was, but I don't think I necessarily knew his personality entirely until I was writing these books, and even then, like it changes from book to book, like not wildly, right? Because people are roughly the same, but like stuff happens and then mm. that affects you as a person and so that builds on top of each other so you have a more complex person and sure there's still some character traits that shine through there but you know it, ultimately a person is the sum of all their experiences so that is kind of how it how it comes to play
0: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Listener Josh wants to know, when writing, did you ever feel the need to alter something because of a piece of media that came out that had a plot device or character or anything else that was too similar?
3: Uh, yeah, probably. I, I'm trying to think of a concrete example. I definitely have written books and then, or like come up with ideas for stories and then seen somebody do a very similar story and be like, yeah, well now, now I yeah. can't do that. <laughs> or yeah. I need to come up with something that's going to set it so far apart that people will not confuse the two or, or not think, oh, this came up for this. I am trying to remember, like there was something recently where I felt like, This is a fine line to walk because there's a lot of stuff where, like, you know, stuff you write gets inspired by other stuff. Sure. That you read or watch or whatever. You're like, oh, man, I loved that scene in this movie where this happened. I wonder if I can, like, do something similar, like convey a similar idea or have a similar scene. And, you know, sometimes that does bleed over. But, you know, if you've done it well, your characters are different and the plot's different and stuff. So it may be a similar scene, but it's like the context is different. Um I'm trying to think if I've explicitly changed. I think I've changed names where it's like, oh, that uh, name is too is too connected to something else now. And now
2: I just want to not dredge up sort of connections with that. In my first novel, I had a a character who was a cheerleader and then Heroes came out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was like, go damn it and so she became a volleyball player because there you go yeah just, i mean i had to be different it couldn't there be. are there are little tweaks like that that you can make um where sometimes
3: something just doesn't quite work and you're like oh, i gotta I yeah gotta it's just like it
2: resonates too much it's like uh, didn't heroes do that and it's like yeah okay fine. It's, it's fine. and it's frustrating too Nobody especially if you have it now. now i could put it back but it's too, right exactly it's, it's, too late. it's, okay, it's a callback right. it's an homage a decade now. ago yeah
3: it's a it's a finely it's a finely aged wine. Yeah, but
2: I think you're I think you're right. You do have those like uh, the thing that you've got in your list, and you're like, oh, th- somebody did that. I, I'll put that on the you know put it on the shelf until I can come up with a different the, take on it. Or the something. worst
3: is when you've already written it, and then somebody else is like, oh,
2: this is just like that scene in blah, and you're like, oh no, yeah. damn it, <laughs> yeah, that that's not good. Uh... Uh, different dan listener dan says hi listener dan uh or maybe you ask yourself this question i don't know what <laughs> software do you use in crafting your books crafting yes uh, your yes, book craft it's book craft it's like minecraft so i've got
3: a little chisel and a hammer mm-hmm. um i use scrivener which is yep. my workhorse for this uh it is great i don't use a huge percentage of the features it has nope. uh our pal anthony johnson uses it and uses it totally differently from me it's not great um I love it. Scrivener is a great tool because it really can be anything to anyone and there are a lot of people who's like oh it's so complex and it's like yeah it's true it is definitely more complex than sitting down and opening like a word document. But it's also very powerful and it kind of conforms to what you want to do. So like I have seen, for example, in Scrivener, you can have documents and a lot of people I know that's sort of designed to be like, it's a scene and then your scenes go into a folder, which is your chapter. And it's like, I don't think in scenes, I think in chapters. So for Mm. me, every document is a chapter. Uh, And so and that just works for me. And it's got a lot of other tools that you can use for like storing research and stuff. I tend to just create like blank documents in like the separate section that aren't part of the manuscript where I just write stuff down, but I don't use a lot of like the templates and stuff in there. It's just, it's it's more work than I need to do. Um, I've occasionally used other tools. uh, Scapple, I want to say, which is also by, I think it's the same company. Yeah. Uh, Literature. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, yeah, which is like kind of a mind uh, mapping, you know, brainstorming thing. Um, so I've used that a little bit to just draw, like draw out ideas or stuff like that. Uh, other than that, like I use notes. Like that is my other place where I keep just ideas that I have is like, oh, I open up a notes file and I have you know a folder that's all writing stuff and then I have different folders for different projects and I will just sort of jot down ideas in there because it's everywhere, right? It's on my phone. I can write something down or I can write something down on my iPad or my Mac and it's everywhere and I can always find it. And that's all I really need. Like I try to keep my tools fairly simple and not get bogged down because I think that is a trap, uh, which is... People get so invested in like, what tools do I need to be a real writer? And it's like, no, you just need a thing where you can put words. It's literally it. I know uh, Pete Brett, who is a fantasy writer, and a fellow um, agency mate of mine has written this huge fancy book and he started writing it on his phone i think <laughs> like and this was before like smartphone era <laughs> like maybe like maybe early sort of smartphone era but I, you know he's and he wrote like 160,000 word book that like was mostly on his phone because he would do it on his commutes on the subway and it's like that that works do it right you know <laughs> if you write or you need to write on paper or whatever do that i mean it's whatever whatever you use that can get the words out of you
2: uh yeah, that's that's a good point, which is in the end the tools don't matter. <laughs> no. It's, like, it's, uh, it's a distraction. Just, it is. Yeah. In fact, if you obsess over the tools, you're, you're just writing. distracting yourself from writing. Yeah. Uh Kate wants to know, have you had to change your writing process due to the pandemic? And if so, how <laughs> did that impact you? I did. Uh so
3: we talked about nova Incident was written in during 2020. Um I want to say I started in like maybe August 2020 or so. So a few months into the pandemic. And Prior to this, as listeners probably of previous uh, episodes where we discussed my writing, no, I was a uh, regular. Uh, I would get up in the morning, I would go down to the coffee shop, I would do some writing there, I would have my cup of tea or two, and then I'd come back and have lunch and work in my day job stuff. Couldn't go to the coffee shop anymore. <laughs> uh, so that was an interesting change. I think the last time I sort of went to the coffee shop was like in, you know, right in March, right as things were starting to shut down. Uh, and so as a result, I wrote pretty much this entire story in my home, which is weird <laughs> I didn't because I'd never written any other book entirely in my where I lived. I would go to coffee shops or I would write them while I was traveling or stuff like that. Um, but I very rarely worked on a novel while I was at home because for me, that was sort of like a different, that's like my work environment, quote unquote, like where I'm doing other stuff, podcasting or writing tech stuff or whatever. And so a lot of that I wrote sitting in my uh, my Poang Ikea chair in my living room in my old apartment. Uh, and that was, it felt. Different. And I think that's part of what informed the feeling of the novel being more claustrophobic was the fact that I was stuck someplace. <laughs> and so I was like, well... I'm going to sort of, I I can sort of draw on that for this story that is a little more self contained to a planet instead of having these like, you know, jumping between all these different worlds and feel like there's some tension from the fact that you can't escape this place. Um, So, yeah, that was a big change for me. And now it's now become routine for me. Like, I still don't go to the coffee shop. I have been a couple times in the past two years, but. I usually get up and go get my cup of tea, and then sit in our dining room where we have some nice armchairs, and mm. that's where I write now.
2: Yeah, a real value in in changing your context when you're writing. I I mean, yes. just in general, not just for novels, but like I I find it incredibly valuable to get up from my desk, um, because I don't sit at my desk and write all day. Right, I'm doing I'm managing sure. stuff, and I'm doing podcasts and stuff like that. And then when it comes time, you and I both write weekly columns for MacWorld. I will almost always write that column somewhere that is not my desk it's usually in the in the summer months it's outside under my redwood tree in a camp chair and in the cooler times it's usually at the bar um in my kitchen but going to a different location makes a difference Right. And I often write my macro column at my desk because it's like the one thing I do write
3: at my desk. Not always,
2: but a lot of times it's like, oh, well, this is work. I'm going to go to the workplace to the work. That makes sense Uh, in a strange way. Human brains. We're 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 wacky. Um, Mark wants to know, do you have any specific writing goals or routines when you're working on a novel? And does that change for different parts of the writing and revision process? Well, it changes by the novel. I'll tell you that much. Like
3: I have been, I mentioned again, this project I've been working on, I've been kind of working on it pretty solidly since the beginning of the year. Um, And I set myself a goal of doing a thousand words on every weekday. And I can do more than that if I want, and I can write on other days if I want. But my restriction was every day of the week, Monday through Friday, I'm doing a thousand words. And my rationale was like a thousand words is very often doable because it's it's not like a huge amount. I feel confident in my ability to do it. And doing it on the weekdays lets me sort of have off days, kind of like when you're you know exercising, right? You have rest days, like you need to let your, your body recover. And I have found that that is extremely doable. With very few exceptions, I have not missed it. I think when I we went on vacation, I was traveling, I maybe wrote one day and then the rest of the days were like, not really. But every other day, basically, since the beginning of this year, i basically put a thousand words down uh and Good job. yeah I, I it worked i don't know why like i've tried this in the past with like oh you know naNoWriMo right like you think oh 50,000 words 30 days yeah it's 16 you, it's, it's a 1667 yep yeah and you're like great as long as i do that and it's like some days <laughs> 1600 words is pretty a, hard yeah. And, yeah, well it's an average over 30 days though, right? Like so some days you do more and some days you yeah. do less, but like every day you do less, you always have that in your back of your head like, "Oh no, I need now to I'm make up." Yeah. Yeah, but that's uh, when you but, get to the fun part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Not the boring part. <laughs> stuff gets stuff gets wild then. Uh so I try to do that as a routine. Editing is a little more free form for me because it's harder to gauge. Like, you know, I'll break stuff down by chapters and do like, right, I'm gonna do five chapters today or whatever. Or I'm gonna do occasionally like ten thousand words or something like that. I think it's just a faster process, though. It depends on what. Sometimes you just get really bogged down. And you're like, oh, this thing really isn't working. It's not like, oh, I got to change this word or this sentence had a grammar error. It's like this is broken and I need to fix this. And you might bang your head against it for an hour or several days even, um, depending on how complex a problem it is. So I don't tend to set myself as much goals. That's more of a time thing. It's like, all right, I got you know two hours to do right. some editing before I do other stuff.
2: Do you do, when you're when you're writing, do you do the NaNoWriMo thing and try to just plow ahead and figure out that this is a thing you'll fix later? Or do you get tempted by the, I'm going to go back and tweak this? And because NaNoWriMo, the whole idea is you just keep putting the words yeah. down and you're, you're, you'll you're you deal with it in draft because the point is to, is to move forward. <laughs> Fix it in post. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I try to do that. I try not to get too bogged
3: down. Sometimes I get stuck because I have to go back and refer to something. And I'm like, oh, what was that name? Or what did I call that? And I'll have to like search through my Scriven document. And be like, oh, is that? And oh, wait a second. Now that I'm back there. I just had that today, actually. I was like searching for a term I'd used in this book. And I saw another term listed next to it. I'm like, what was that? What did I mean by that? I don't think I've referred to that anywhere else. Uh, and then I was like, I just got to leave it there. I leave it there and I keep moving. Um, so I try to just plow ahead because I find it's a different side of your brain, right? Yeah. You wouldn't start editing a podcast when you're in the middle of recording it. I don't recommend so, it. <laughs>
2: I think that would cause a lot of problems. Yeah.
3: So I try to just keep going.
2: All right. Let us do a, our audio question now. Oh audio question. We have one audio question from listener James. Does listener James introduce himself? We'll see. Hi, listener James here Dan, I'm wondering what has been the coolest perk of being a published author that was a surprise to you?
3: <laughs> what has been the coolest Kirk. perk of being a published author that's been surprised to you? I think in some ways. I mean, meeting people who have read my book. Actually, I will say that my favorite stories are, and this has happened twice that people have reported it, is people who have been, I made made shirts for my books that have like the Commonwealth logo and the Illyrican Empire logo. And twice people have reported to me being somewhere and somebody recognizing the shirt. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know if that's a perk, but it was like a moment where I was like, oh there are just strangers who have read my book meeting other strangers who have read my book. That's weird. Isn't that wild? Um, I I think that's great. Um, and, And, you know, as such, running into any fans like whether it's at like an author event that i do or when we're out like doing the apple wwdc or something and running into people who have read the book and say nice things like is that a perk i don't know i consider that a perk yeah i i love it it's it's just delightful to have
2: that like be a real world thing instead of the faceless masses out there i was gonna Um, say being being on panels at like conventions and stuff is that's fun you know when when it's like well you're you're a published author so you are now enshrined in that in that ability, you yeah. like you are legitimate for that now.
3: Yeah, doing panel. I've done panels a few times at WorldCon, and I did one this year at the Nebula Conference, which was a first for me, and that's fun. It is super fun to be able to do that. I think actually, this will. I this is what I will say is my favorite part is actually being able to just meet other authors that I really admire and mm-hmm. like, have conversations with them. Like you know, just chat or like right. I, I find that kind of cool. Like. I don't know. I met. I've met a few different people, but like recently, not that long ago, this year, I was at a party after a book event that was held locally, and I went to this party, at a writer's house afterwards, and I was like talking to Scott Lynch, who's like a writer that I really love and admire. Oh yeah, wow! And like that was really cool. I was just like, oh, let's just you know yeah, shoot hey. the breeze with Scott Lynch. <laughs> hey, Liesl lamora right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that book. And I just, I mean, you know, it, it's just a guy like, you know, just having just a normal a conversation. It wasn't like a deep conversation about writing or anything, no. but like, I don't know, it was kind of cool to talk to people whose work you really admire.
2: Yeah, I met Anne Leckie at Worldcon and I was like, ah, how about the, how about the, I like your books. And it was just, I didn't <laughs> even know what to say. It's like, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some So we had the audio question. Here's the audio book questions. Uh, Matthew wants to know, is the audio book coming out on a different schedule than the book release? Uh, for this particular book, I don't know. I was last information
3: I was told was well, unless it it's surprisingly
2: were, coming out on July twenty sixth. The answer well, is let, yes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, you'll know by the time probably
3: you hear this podcast whether or not <laughs> what the schedule actually ah, is, because I'm right. sure by the time that it come, the book is ready to come out, I'll at least know whether the audiobook is coming out at the same time or what a date will be. Oh, interesting. I think I can say. I don't think this is giving... Who cares? This is the... Uh, this, I can't this say... Is, I, uh, yeah, okay. Go ahead. I literally got an email yesterday, as we record this, from the narrator, who is the same narrator who did the last two books. And he was asking me about like if there were any new pronunciation stuff. And I was like, oh, I didn't know... Like, I knew we were trying to maintain that continuity. I didn't know that we had actually gotten him back. So ah. I was glad to hear that. So the continuity, the uh, uh, Victor Bavine... I mean he's saying his name wrong, Bavine, who is well, who did the narration on the Bayern agenda and Aleph Extraction will be doing the Nova incident book.
2: Nice. So there is an audiobook. It's there is a, one. There is one. I just, just don't
3: know. Is it coming it's, out? There's right a away, there's a boring business reason yeah.
2: here, which is that it's it's a different company doing it and I don't know what their schedule is. Right. So this is uh, leads us into Jonathan's question, which is how are the audiobook versions of your books handled? I notice you have two different companies making the audio mm. ver- versions of your books so far.
3: Yeah, so this is a business question, and the answer is essentially what happens is there are different sets of rights for the print ebook and audio. And usually it, it kind of varies. Some publishers will be like, hey, when when you sign the contract, we are gonna we would like the audio rights. We will sell them and we will cut you in for some of the, the money. Um Also, if you can maintain if you can manage to keep those rights to yourself, which if you if you have an agent and you should absolutely have an agent if you're ever dealing with this because they are invaluable when it comes to dealing with rights, uh, a good agent will be like, hey, we want to try to keep the audio rights. This is a lot harder with big publishers because they have a lot more leverage. But if you're at a sort of a smaller press, then you can often try to keep the audio rights and then sell them yourself, which means you get more money mm. <laughs> because you are not splitting it with the publisher of your print in ebooks, which when you think about it, makes sense. Why should they get cut in <laughs> on the audio rights? So uh, the answer is when we did uh, uh, the Caledonian Gambit, uh, my publisher was Talos, and they took the audio rights and they sold them to a company called Tantor, which is a fairly large audiobook production company. Um, and when I did uh, Bayern and Aleph, we kept the audio rights and we sold those to Audible. So Audible produced those. And then when we did Nova, we offered it to Audible. They did not want them. And so we sold it to Tantor again. Ah. So I'm back with the the publisher for the first time around. So... Uh all good people I, I'm very happy with all the audiobook work that has been done across all these companies. Um, you know, I, I think I am not an audiobook person, but uh, I think either. mostly I've heard good things from people who have listened to the audiobook well,
2: that, versions. That leads us to Saskia's question, which is have you ever listened to the audiobook <laughs> versions of your own books? And do the readers <laughs> or producers ever approach you for pronunciation guidelines?
3: Yes, they absolutely do approach me, as I've just mentioned. Yeah, uh, in the past, I've also recorded every once in a while. Like I've done, like a, I was like, oh, I have a microphone. I can just record a thing that tells you how these are all pronounced, if that's helpful. Um, and so I have done pronunciations because I have feelings on how things should be pronounced. Mm. I know, for example, uh, my main character who is Kovalik, That is how I pronounce it. I have heard there are different pronunciations, but that's just how I hear it in my head. And that's how I prefer it be pronounced. Uh, whether you pr- if you pronounce it something different in your head when you're reading, that's fine. Right. If you say I'm Kowalich, gonna, that's fine. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. That's Sue just it. not how I would pronounce it. Um, I don't tend to listen to the audiobooks. I don't know why, but it's very uncomfortable for me oh, <laughs> to sure. hear somebody else read stuff that I have written. I don't particularly like it it makes me antsy and i i it's not that they're not doing a good job it's just it's very cringe feeling for me like oh did i really write that Uh, (laughs) oh man i should have done better i should have put Mm. that different because i don't always write stuff expecting it to be heard aloud right? right i'm hearing it in my head or i'm reading stuff in my head and it feels different when you hear somebody speaking those words and it's like, oh, I just, oh man, I just wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's a very uncomfortable feeling for me. So I don't, certainly don't do it end to end. I've every once in a while, like played it just out of curiosity. And it's like, I get that. It's like a fingernails on a chalkboard thing. It's like, oh no, I can't listen to this. And then I, I stop.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, here's the lightning round. Hello, uh, head casting question from here. Again, just checking in. I think we've taught, played this game before, but checking in now, who would you cast to play the leading roles? In oh, your man. series, I don't.
3: I I always struggle with this question. I don't have a good answer. We've talked about it before. Yeah, and Jason has his casting. I have yeah. Mark some Valley. Some my casting. Stay, is he I still Mark your... Valley? Come on, Mark. Uh, uh You know, I. You know, we were just uh, maybe because I'm just thinking about for all mankind. I was like Joel Kinnaman. Yeah, he could kind of do it. Yeah, he's too he tall, but he's like he's got the right demeanor for it. Yeah. I don't uh, have an Eli one though. I never have an Eli one. No, I don't know. I don't. Man. He's he's a little closer to me. I think is the problem. Yeah. So I struggle with that.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, Kvalik is who you who you want to be, and Eli is who you are. <laughs> if you don't deserve me at my Kvalik, you know. Yeah. Um, Kevin wants to know, very important question, are any of your characters based on your podcast co-hosts? <laughs> Only the ones I kill. Uh, no, uh, I
3: don't think, I've occasionally named characters after people I know, but I don't think anybody's based after somebody. All right. Not really.
2: Um, Marcella has a great question, which is, which is better, the Nova Incident or Panic's Nova app? <laughs> well, uh
3: if you want to uh basically have an integrated development environment, definitely in my book. But if you okay. want to read a really great Spy turner Panic, panic <laughs> from Nova, obviously. Panic's getting into everything these days. It's amazing. Oh, man. Wait till the play, the, the play date adaptation of my book is coming. Oh, soon.
2: can you imagine a uh, uh, go Cold War the game? What would that be? I don't, I don't know. Even know. Right. It's just well, Spy If you're a game developer and have an idea, hit me up. Maybe we can make a deal. All right. Um uh Flipper says what is your favorite espionage TV series and have you seen Callan the British 70s spy series No I that, don't know that Somebody one. get uh it. get Stephen Chapanski on the horn he's probably well, either gonna watch that or has watched that or is watching it right now our friend who mm-hmm. loves 70s TV British 70s Well TV. so
3: and and uh, along those lines my favorite spy TV show it's is The, the Sand Sandbaggers Baggers, which is also a Stephen Chapanski mm-hmm. favorite Uh I would actually add though close second to that I think in recent years um Counterpart. Counterpart oh, yeah. is a great spy series. Really, and it does the spy sci fi thing from a totally different angle. Totally different. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. It's so good. And then I have a fun spot for a, a show called Covert Affairs, which ran on USA, oh. which is kind of just a fun, a little bit by the numbers, but it is at points really well executed. So I, I rewatched that during the pandemic and it actually inspired some of the ideas in the Nova incident. So I will throw that out there nice. as an homage.
2: I really liked uh, Slow Horses. Was- Slow Horses is also great. Also good. Yep. Um, Timothy says, have you ever been tempted to introduce technology that is more magical than scientific? For example, teleportation. Where do you draw the line in terms of your invented sci-fi world? That's a good question. I The,
3: the Galactic Cold War world is fairly well rooted in our world, with the exception of things like there's wormhole travel between different space systems. Uh, a lot of the critiques of my book are that they're not science fiction enough, whatever that means. But I think they mean like the, the this technology feels too close to our world. Right. But that's in some parts because I think that's just the way in my brain this world evolved. It was a, you know, sort of a different stuff got reset a bit in terms of how things got spread out. So I didn't... I think what's interesting to me is the constraints of technology and having magical technology, if it enables your story is great, but I wanted to do things where the technology often held people back. So the fact that there are wormholes connecting different places in the galaxy, unlike, say, just having a ship with an FTL drive that can go wherever, whenever it wants, is an interesting... I mean, that's kind of the fundamental conflict in the Caledonian Gambit, right? right? It's like, what if you had this? And then what if something broke it? You know, and I think that is an interesting constraint to me and then it also enables other constraints because i've had to think about things like well if you can't do if everything else is limited like you don't have fast stuff that's faster than light how do you do communications between different star systems right. it's like that's actually a hard problem to solve but, as yeah. we see in like Ansibles science or
2: bottles messages yeah, in, in, in mind it ends or... up
3: being essentially like we send little drones through yeah. the wormholes and then they shoot out radio signals but like Take some time, right? Yeah. It's a little bit more like writing a letter than it is like having instantaneous communication.
2: Um, what what's up with that uh, faster than light ship from the Caledonian Gambit? By the way, I haven't, I haven't huh. heard a lot about that. Yeah, well, you'd think that that would built. have an impact on the on you the would, Galactic Cold War.
3: You think that might be something important for mm-hmm. later?
2: i don't know I, I haven't read your next book dan uh <laughs> i haven't written it jason <laughs> uh, that's okay that's fair 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 i also don't know what's in it but but it just it, it strikes me every now and then it's like oh yeah that was kind of a game yeah, changer I, I, we haven't I heard
3: of a lot of stuff out there that i'm hoping i could tie up into a nice little bow at some
2: point when i that's eventually every, get around to finishing this so, so everybody please fun. buy the uh nova incident in by, july 26 by the nova incident yeah there you go you, do, you should do that um related ben once to know given the near infinite ways to handle faster than light in space empire fiction how did you pick yours i think i mean if you read the caledonian
3: gambit it came because i wanted the plot of that a i will say i the the imagery of it um in my world there are wormholes there are gates that essentially are science fictional creations that have been designed to keep wormholes stable and open so that people can pass through them. Mm-hmm. I actually have in my head a prequel story that sort of deals with humanity's first experience with that, which I don't know, maybe I'll write someday. But I wanted to do a story in which, you know, uh, the events well, this there's not too much of a spoiler because it's literally the prologue of the Caldoin Gambit. A wormhole gate is destroyed and that mm-hmm. causes severe havoc and problems. Um, and so I liked that idea of not having the freedom to go anywhere. It's like, oh, well, like it's like a bridge washed out. It's like we just can't can't get there, right? right. You got to go the long way around. And I think that's an interesting idea. I have different ideas for other, you know, if I'm working on other sci-fi stuff. I was like, I would probably be more tempted to use things that are a little more uh, standard FTL stuff because, sure. like, uh, you know, that's not the problem you're trying to address in every book. But in this universe, it was the interesting element to me.
2: Uh, Carrie wants to know what your favorite sci-fi book is.
3: Well, I'm going to have to pick a Lois McMaster Bujol book. It's memory, Mm. um, which is my favorite of her books, uh, because it is both a great sci-fi story. It's a great spy thriller. It's a great sci-fi story and it's a great, bit of character development Mm. is about miles work again the hero of that story turning 30 and eventually essentially having like not quite a midlife crisis but a little bit of midlife crisis as he realizes he can't keep doing this job that he was doing uh and then he has to sort of unfold a a plot that's happening simultaneously uh so that book is is wonderful i think it won the hugo it at least was nominated i think or Mm. maybe the nebula i don't know but it's one of her it's one of her best and she wrote
2: a lot of good books um, Thomas wants to know do you have an ending planned for the Galactic Cold War
3: yeah I don't know how much to go into about like yes I will say absolutely I have an ending planned I kind of know what the last big scene is I'm struggling a little bit right now so I will say just for the purposes of transparency because we've addressed it several times already I don't have a contract for any more books in this series right now so as of this very moment when you were listening to this there are no books being written and there are no books on the schedule if you'd like that to change <laughs> You know what you have to do july 26th buy this book buy the last books have your friends buy them etc etc i think one way or another i will wrap it up because the idea of having a story that doesn't conclude and knowing what that ending is bothers me right i hate i i get frustrated when i read a book or watch a tv series right that's a great example like a tv series you're like oh this is cool they're building this plot that happens over several seasons and it gets canceled, and they never get to finish it. It's worse with TV shows because like, there's a big production budget and all that, right? It's really hard. You got to get the actors back, etc. I think of the show Carnival, which was this oh, very yeah. detailed HBO show, and it had this really elaborate plot, and they had this plan for like six seasons, I think it was, and it got canceled after two. And so a lot of stuff went unanswered. And then years later, the the show Bible for it was leaked, it was like you could find it on the internet, and you read it, and you're like oh, man, like now I know what happens, but it's so much more boring when it's laid out just like, and then this happens and then this happens. That's because of this. It's like, no, no, the whole point was that it was like mystery unfolding over time. And it's like, I don't want to just somebody tell me what was going on. I wanted to experience that. So
2: well, your challenge is going to be because obviously you could you could publish it yourself as an ebook, which which I may do. And you know, you're just going to have to calculate the amount of work that's going to go into writing it and producing it. And the trade-off with how many sales you think you're going to get, even though if you're selling it yourself, you know, you've got a probably better deal.
3: And I, I kind of ran an experiment with that earlier this year. I put out some, I've been doing like short stories, um, set in the Galactic Cold War universe. And I did my first original one that was not sort of a repurposed deleted scene from one of the earlier books. And I charged buck 99 for it. And I was like, I just want to see how this goes. And the answer was, it's okay, but it didn't necessarily recoup the even the amount of time it spent to produce and right. you know make that. So that makes me think. Well, a novel's different. It's a little more not only a t- more time investment for me, but I think more people are willing to pony up some money for a novel. So. It's something I'm strongly considering doing. If I can't find a way to sort of conclude this otherwise, I would obviously love to continue on with my publisher. But I, again, it all depends on sales. Right. That's just the the kind of mercenary world we live in, unfortunately.
2: That's just, that's just how it is. Uh, James says you've spoken about the influence of Vorcos again. One of my favorite things about the series is the wild shifts in genre and tone, from spy thriller to comedy of manners, for example. If given the opportunity, what other genre would be the most fun to drop Simon and the gang into? I had a good laugh imagining them being forced to work security for their galaxy's version of the Oscars. (laughs)
3: That would be funny. I mean, I would do... I think I would do a comedy. uh, I try to inject a lot of humor in the books as it is. And so I think some of the most fun moments are when people are confronted with a situation that is like totally outside of their area of expertise. So sort of a fish out of water uh, comedy scene would I think be super fun. I mean, it's already a science fiction thing and sort of a spy thriller. I don't know how many other genres I can, I can like sort of jump onto that. Like I'm, you know, I'm tempted to do like a straight up mystery, but I think that's, you know, it's weird to write a straight up mystery in sci-fi. Although I guess Asimov kind of did it with Mm. those, uh, with the robots uh, the robot books um so yeah i i think either a comedy or a mystery i know those are kind of adjacent i mean or just you know get wild and drop it in the middle of like oh it's, it's ted lasso but with the galactic cold war Whoa. past
2: Interesting. there you go it's uh it's what's the most popular sport on uh, <laughs> on this planet I
3: think it's grab ball is grab. the one that I referenced sure.
2: a bunch. It's like roller ball, grab ball, all the balls. Yeah, it's all got right. it's got gravities and balls. <laughs> couple couple more uh, really quickly. Kate wants to know if you had two of the characters for your books on clockwise, who would you choose and what would you discuss? <laughs> uh, Tapper and
3: ah. uh, oh god, I, come on, it's, that would just be so much fun uh Tapper and probably uh Natalie Taylor and the reason is because uh Nat is extremely smart and she would be really she would be interested in discussing technology topics and she would be really insightful too and then Tapper would just be hilarious cuz his answer to everything is
2: like well I just blow it up yeah. like yeah why doesn't <laughs> just this put thing blow up? on it <laughs> yeah. yeah and that I think that would be delightful and I have one more question and I'm going to say if you're if you're very 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 sensitive two hints and spoilers you could tune out now this is the last question and thank you for listening but i don't know even if dan will um well let's just see neil wrote this question has a spoiler for the end of Bayern. Bayern agenda uh when you killed off page at the end of Bayern, had you already conceived of the character of sayers to replace him on the team or did you create her in the course of plotting aleph so I can answer that question.
3: Um, I She was always intended to and, and uh, join the team. Always. I had her in mind from the first book. I just didn't have space to develop her the way I wanted to in the earlier stories. And I had always known what was going to happen to Paige in Bairn. Like That was part of the plan all along. And so that re- created this great opportunity to be like, well, they have to find someone to replace him on the team. And I wanted to get someone that was very different from him. He's got a very specific personality. He goes about things in a very specific way. And I wanted to have the team shaken up and challenged by the fact that now they have to deal with somebody who is kind of a polar opposite and like just much more impulsive, much less measured. I thought that contrast would be a lot of fun. And, but I had always wanted to bring Serres on. I had been super excited, you know, even when writing Gambit, because I had plotted out a bunch of this like knowing that she was sort of in in the wings waiting to come in but I really needed a room in a novel to have her take the stage as she has in uh in Aleph and she's also a narrator in The Nova Incident as well mm-hmm. um so yeah I was I was always really excited about bringing her on and but she was sort of deliberately in some ways conceived to be a different character a very distinct character from page so that's that's
2: what i'll say to that and i think it's fair to say that in the nova incident the fact that page gets killed off at the end of bayern comes back right like it, that that is not that is not an event without consequences to the story yes yes and, and i you know i
3: had to kind of deal with that in aleph too because there is some challenges for both brody and kovalik in dealing with that as well as sarah's having to fill those shoes and so there is some you know i wanted it to be a a incident that like you said had repercussions and left a lasting impact on the people involved in it because you don't want to just brush that off. It's it's significant, right? Like it's something big that happened. So it was something that was always planned. It was always part of sort of my overall story idea. And uh, I wanted to basically tease
2: out some, you know, some challenges in that department. All right. Well, Dan, Thank you for talking about writing and books, and people should buy The Nova Incident and all the other books in this series, quite frankly. Whether it's three or four, it doesn't really matter. Just buy them so that Dan can keep writing the books in this series um and uh and once again it's been fun uh it's always fun to talk to you about this stuff and this is a sort of a special thing and what i i I always wonder like do people want to hear us do this and then at the end of the year people always cite these episodes as some of their favorites of the year so thank you for coming back glad to hear that yeah it's a it's a pleasure i i love talking
3: about writing uh especially because jason i know how much you're invested in as well obviously that's your career and you've written novels and stuff like that and Someday we'll turn the tables and I'll interview you. About oh. Your novel.
2: Yeah, man. You know, I I, I wish I... Uh, ironically, leaving my, uh, leaving my regular corporate job and going out on my own is the thing that killed my ability to write <laughs> novels. Because every moment that I'm not doing my independent work job, I feel like I'm shirking. And so it's something mm-hmm. that I've really got to try to find a mental structure to get to set aside some time where it's okay for me to do something else and it just hasn't happened so strange there's always time there is always time all right well thank you to everybody out there for listening to this episode of the incomparable we'll be back next week with something completely different undoubtedly um and and once again thank you to dan thank you